Throughout his presidency at the beginning of the 19th century, Thomas Jefferson had worried about the future of the western U.S., seeing that settlements in the Ohio Valley and Lower South relied upon the Mississippi River. France's control over the region, in his estimation, put the U.S. at a severe disadvantage. His solution proved successful beyond his wildest imagination, for Napoleon did not only sell New Orleans to the U.S., the portion that Jefferson instructed his ministers to make an offer on, but all of New France, the entire area of Louisiana. Jefferson might have said later that his purchase of the territory strained but did not break the Constitution, but also should have boasted that, with one stroke, he had removed one less obstacle to American expansionism. The Louisiana Purchase encompassed all or part of fifteen current U.S. states and two Canadian provinces, including Arkansas, Missouri, Iowa, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, parts of Minnesota that were west of the Mississippi River, most of North Dakota, nearly all of South Dakota, northeastern New Mexico, northern Texas, the portions of Montana, Wyoming, and Colorado east of the Continental Divide, and Louisiana west of the Mississippi River, including the city of New Orleans. Parts of this area were still claimed by Spain at the time of the purchase. In addition, the purchase contained small portions of land that would eventually become part of the Canadian provinces of Alberta and Saskatchewan. The purchase, which doubled the size of the United States, comprises about 23% of current U.S. territory. The purchase was a vital moment in Jefferson's presidency. At the time, it faced domestic opposition as being possibly unconstitutional, and though he felt that the U.S. Constitution did not contain any provisions for acquiring territory, Jefferson decided to purchase Louisiana, because he felt uneasy about France and Spain having the power to block American trade access. Jefferson also decided to allow slavery in the acquired territory, which laid the foundation for the crisis of the Union a half-century later. On the other hand, Napoleon Bonaparte was looking for ways to finance his empire's expansion, and he also had geopolitical motives for the deal. Upon completion of the agreement, Bonaparte stated, This accession of territory affirms forever the power of the United States, and I have given England a maritime rival who sooner or later will humble her pride. The purchase allowed Jefferson to plan something he had talked about since taking office, an expedition deep into the unmapped and largely unknown continent, with the final destination being the Pacific Ocean. This could prove the most significant of the goals that Jefferson, a person who thought of himself as a scientifically-minded thinker, wanted to accomplish as president. The historical body of work on Jefferson's prior knowledge of the continent is well documented. Moreover, recent work demonstrates how, by 1802, possibly after reading Mackenzie's recently published account of his voyages from Montreal, through the continent of North America to the frozen Arctic and Pacific Oceans, Jefferson had begun to plan a serious voyage of discovery across the Mississippi to the Pacific. 
He wanted very much for the U.S. to emulate previous voyages of scientific discovery. Something special lurked in his plans, though. He possessed an ambitiousness that meant to not only learn about the continent, but launch an audacious journey that would leave the U.S. as the uncontested rulers of the continent. When scholarship confirms his mention of Mr. Lewis's tour, his crypticness shows this voyage was to be like no other that he had contemplated and was mounted on a scale unheard of before. Doing so meant to produce a body of scientific knowledge that, more than anything else, would help the U.S. stake a claim to the entire continent. Science, then, could accomplish this. Herein lay the true meaning of Mr. Lewis's tour.